Hi, my name is Alex Kelly, co-founder of Bright Flag, and this is In-House Outliers, a podcast where I interview those who've taken unconventional paths and challenged conventional notions of how in-house legal should operate. I am delighted to be joined today on the podcast by someone I've had the pleasure of knowing for many years, Alison English. Alison is Legal Operations Manager at Ream Manufacturing. Alison, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Alex. Great to be here. We've obviously known each other for a long time, Alison. But what I love about these conversations is we get to go a little bit deeper into your career journey. So we might start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Atlanta. I actually am a native to Atlanta. It's kind of rare around here, but for sure, (laughs) from Atlanta. Why did you decide to study to be a paralegal in college? So it's kind of funny. My I'm a family of family of accountants. It's uh, I was an undecided major, which drove my dad crazy. He was a CFO, COO for an Atlanta manufacturing company in the 50s and 60s, which is kind of funny since I'm in a manufacturing company now. In our house, it was sort of you're going to be a doctor, lawyer, or an accountant, and none of that seemed appealing to me. I was the youngest and probably the one that drove him the most crazy, but. I finally said, you know, paralegal is a little bit more in line with my interests. I like research. I like writing. I desperately wanted to stay away from all math classes that I could. <laughs> so it, it seemed to make sense. Paralegal was fairly kind of up and coming and had a strong trajectory for like career growth. So I thought, well, I'll start there and see if I like it. So I immediately went and got a job at a law firm in Atlanta to sort of test it out. For me, I always felt like I wanted to try something before I decided that's what I would be doing, which is how I ruled out being a dental hygienist. So (laughs) that's sort of the evolution of getting to paralegal work. That's amazing. And uh, little did you know, years later, you would be immersed in all things financial management. So you're you know, trying to avoid math, but it's... I know, I know. And now it's like, I joke all the time. I was like, it's clearly in my DNA, like something happened. <laughs> was your first job out of college then in a law firm? So it was like, by the time I got done with my paralegal certification, I was already embedded in a law firm, you know, really the job that I took when I was testing it out was a really pivotal job for me. It was uh, as a receptionist in a small startup plaintiff's employment firm in Atlanta, and they had no paralegal, no sophisticated systems. It was really in its infancy. That's where I met my first mentor was Ben Barrett. And uh, I'm sure he didn't know he was going to become my mentor, but he really taught me everything he could about employment litigation from like drafting pleadings to witness interviews, to legal strategy, to running jury focus groups and trial prep. I was promoted at that law firm to be the primary paralegal and I took to it and loved it. Really interesting because some of that work training in the, the jury perspective of things, it really helped me adapt to a reflective way of receiving information and then using it strategically. I use those skills today all the time on the daily at legal operations. So I believe that training I got at that first job under Ben, it was way more important to my future than any of the classes I ever took even. Yeah, I think those kind of formative early roles can play such an important part in kind of shaping your behaviors. And it's something we've spoken about on the podcast before, the transferable skills working as a paralegal can give you, particularly in legal operations. And I'd be interested to understand, I think this was back in around 2005, where you were kind of working primarily on litigation matters as a paralegal. 
What role did technology play at that time in the litigation process? Yeah, thinking back on that, it's there was not a lot. We had kind of basic intake and billing software. So we were taking case notes, typing them in. It was very basic kind of matter management. And then there was the you know, bait stamping of all our discovery and date stamping our mail. I still think I have PTSD from all that, but it was very manual, right? So there wasn't a lot of technology. I mean, the best technology was scanning, right? So there, there just wasn't a lot there. It's amazing to think like that isn't that long ago, how far, <laughs> how far things have come. Yes, thank uh, goodness, right? <laughs> thank Thank goodness. I think one of the things is we talked about the kind of transferable skills and you, you get as a paralegal. One of the things you're doing is obviously engaging with a lot of different stakeholders from the lawyers in your firm, your clients, court officials, opposing counsel. Did you take any learnings with you from managing all of those different relationships that have stood to you in your subsequent really successful legal ops career? Yes, for sure. Absolutely. I think trust is really key. It's the biggest key to any of these relationships. So you have to show others that they can trust you and rely on you and be that person for them every day. Everything really flows from there. And there's also like understanding who you're dealing with. So what is their personality and, and work to develop that high sense of emotional intelligence to be able to influence is critical. So I, I took that away. And in legal ops, you're regularly leading others to adopt and take on new ideas. So buy-in and change management strategy is key. That success is totally based on trust, in my opinion. So I, I learned a lot about that <laughs> with dealing with my stakeholders in my early part of my career, too. I think you're so right that it can be underappreciated, the importance of, of trust and empathy and listening and understanding what's important to those stakeholders that you're working with. And Something Steph Gorey said to me recently that the soft skills, the importance of soft skills to be successful in legal ops is, is often underappreciated. Oh, for sure. You're using those soft skills on the daily, for sure. You then transitioned into a marketing role in a law firm. How did that come about? So that came about really because, you know, just take a step back a little bit. I was at Taylor English in one of my careers, and that was sort of a new kind of startup firm. This was the fastest growing law firm at the time, and it was a paralegal role. But really, I was supporting Mark Taylor, one of the founders, and he taught me so much about the business of law. So it was a shift in the way, it was away from my paralegal tasks, really. And I was supporting someone who was building and branding a law firm. So we worked on business and focused on the proposition of bringing client value, how to balance the business and the needs of the people. And and the recruiting. And so it really, I became interested in the business of law, right? So there was a shift before I made that marketing move where I knew I want to be on the business side. I don't want to be doing the paralegal tasks anymore. And I had developed so many skills in that role that I knew, I knew it would be a good fit for me to focus more on the business. And it actually, funny enough, was back at the very first firm I ever worked for when I was in school. So I went back to that original mentor and was working with him to focus on marketing. My interest, you know, funny how it, how it shifted for sure, but definitely I knew I wanted to do it. There just wasn't at the time, right, a real legal ops trajectory. So it wasn't like I could look and say legal ops because it just really wasn't there yet. And so this was an opportunity to be on the business side and, and be focused on that more than day-to-day -day paralegal tasks. And you then worked in operations roles in Aaron's. 
Yes. Were there noticeable differences in the corporate culture there when compared to working in a, a more traditional law firm structure? Oh, yes. That's an excellent question. I mean, the culture was totally different. And my shift into the corporate environment was totally deliberate. I wanted to build that corporate experience. And there was a new CEO on board at Aaron's, Ron Allen, who was building his leadership team and rebranding. It was a great opportunity for me to start on deck with new leaders from, a, from other great Atlanta companies that were new. And it was really the first time I worked for anyone who, who reported to someone. So that was different for me, right? Because I had always worked for founders and owners. This was a shift away from that. And, and it did change the way I, I did my project and helped support the team. We had a different path there. But as far as the culture, totally different. I mean, it's the pressures of a public company, reporting up to the board, quarterly results are a big driver. Law firms have a different rhythm than that. So very different. It's so interesting, Alison, and that dynamic of in law firms, the equity partners are like mini CEOs over their yes. own practice area and, and sure. all have a very strong say at the table. And it is a, yep. a very different organizational structure and decision making process. So great to get that exposure, I'm sure. And I suppose, how did those operations roles at Aaron's where you're responsible for delivering on projects, prepare you for your subsequent life in legal operations? Well, right. The shift in the level of intensity, getting ready for the board presentations and the financial prep involved in budgeting and strategy really is top of my list for things Aaron's prepared me for sure. The shift from the pressure and the prep and the number focus, that was the first role where I really was starting to get involved in those those numbers and helping get prepared there with the budget. I also was a member of the HR team, which was a nice fit with my employment background. So, and I was promoted into that role, sitting with the HR team, understanding their role and stresses in the organization has really helped prepare me for partnering, you know, with my current HR team and my legal ops role now on various projects, whether it's recruiting or structuring for the team, whatever it is, but I know what it's like to sit in their spot. So I have a lot of respect for what an HR team has to balance. I utilize that a lot. And, and also there was a lot of servant leadership at Aaron's, our CEO, Ron Allen, and even the other leaders on the team. I have very vivid memories of recalling, like this was a retail environment, right? So corporate had to be open a lot. There was a lot of forced holidays, but our CEO would always come in and speak to people on the floor, even when, you know, obviously he could have, be doing other things. It, it really stuck with me that he came in. He was truly a man for the people. And that was inspiring leadership to watch. So I think like that servant leadership and the concept of like not asking your team to do anything you would not do is something that I promote in my legal ops role and with my team. So like, well, I need to be strategic and I need time for that. I have zero problem like rolling up my sleeves and getting into the trenches. I saw so much of that at Aaron's when I was there. I think it's such a key characteristic in a leader. And I'd be interested to understand then what attracted you to Reem? So I was recruited there by a former coworker and I really wanted to get back into legal. As I mentioned, I was in HR and I knew I wanted to transition back into a legal role, but I wanted to do it in an in-house role. And this position would allow me to do that. I had built the skill sets around it and I could see from my interview with our CLO that he was very strategic and forward thinking. Legal operations was sort of just really starting to be talked about then at the time I was looking at this role. And it was really an opportunity for me to use my skill sets and clearly the path I was starting to move towards. So it was, it was taking a step in the right direction for sure. Yeah. It sounds really interesting. It was kind of bringing together 
the maybe manufacturing DNA in your blood, yes. given your your, yeah, your, father, I know. your father's background, your legal right. training as a paralegal, your operations experience, your HR experience. It sounds like a great fit. And, and what stage of maturity was the, the legal department at when you joined? So I would say it was in its infancy, really. I mean, Scott, as I mentioned, he's a visionary, but he really needed somebody to come in and, and be able to execute, be able to say like, okay, this is how we're going to get it done and, and get it done. That's sort of where I fit in. And when I started, we were a total legal team of 11, including me and the CLO. And we had, that included one regional council. Now, you know, seven and a half years later, we have a solid mid-sized legal team with 36 team members, and that includes nine lawyers in other regions. So a tremendous amount of growth in the time that I've been here. Well, I'm sure incredibly rewarding and exciting to have been a part of that and played an instrumental role in the development of that team and that strategy. How did you engage with Scott to develop the legal operations strategy? So I think that that starts with trust. I keep, I know I keep talking about trust, but really it was like from day one, I went in and worked really hard to listen to him, to the team, to align together and start building that trust and relationship. And with each project and with each win, you instill a little bit more confidence each time. It's sort of a brick by brick thing showing that leveraging technology is the right way that you can show real value in savings that you can bring to the business and a time savings and process for our people. So, and ha- so that's how I got CLO support was really project by project and success by success. And you get that buy-in. And one of my coworkers <laughs> recently, she was, she called me a, a woman for the people. And I was like, you know, maybe that attitude has tied into some of that success, right? That's sort of how I approach my projects. It's, so true, Alison. I was just talking to um, Mark Eldridge, who leads legal operations at Garden Health and has been in the space like yourself for, for a long time now. And he was making almost the exact same point, which is you build trust, you build credibility, you deliver an ROI on a project, you deliver cost savings or efficiencies or productivity gains. Over time, you just build this body of work over these projects. And I think it's probably an important lesson for any aspiring legal operations leaders about being intentional about the projects you choose and how quickly you're going to deliver a tangible outcome in kind of building that trust if you're at the kind of early stage in your journey. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And what would you say now, looking back over the last seven years, what initiatives do you think have had the biggest impact? So, you know, we have made several strides in technology over the last seven years. But I think for me, really the biggest impact was financial controls, formalizing the budgeting process to get our hands around our spend, uh, finding a way to be transparent about that with our leadership team and be inclusive. So helping them see what's going on. That's all in line with updating our outside council guidelines, rolling out bright flag even. Um, So all that, getting our hands around the spend, it allowed us to take a huge step in visibility and data and how we manage our outside council costs, tremendous value add to the business during the budgeting and projection time, which is you know just recently upon me. So a, a huge value add there. That led to other things like the development of our outside council review process so that we can better drive partnerships with our outside council. It's really a full circle event, but I think you know there's always gonna be room for improvements, but it was a huge win with the financial control process. Um- What does great look like for you in your relationships with outside counsel? So no surprises. I mean, I think for sure we're looking for partners more than a vendor. 
And that means a mutual respect. So outside counsel that understands we're servicing clients too, I do find in my conversations, I like to remind them of that. We have, our, you know, the business is our client and it's our job to make sure that we're getting our clients the best service for the most efficient and best value we can. So follow our guidelines, be proactive with pricing ideas that you think will work for our work and be our partner. It's fairly simple. And the technology vendors that you work with and advice generally to technology providers, legal technology providers, how can they best support the legal teams they work with? Well, that's easy for me, customer service. I mean, we're solving problems constantly and we need to move quickly. Having customer service that can get to us and respond if you have a delay in that or there's a breakdown there, it really can drain the trust. And again, I'm back to trust, but that's, it's like outside counsel, we need partners, right? I couldn't agree more. I think great technology is one thing, but having that kind of trusted guide, that proactive support that's there to help you achieve your objectives as your legal department scales, I think is critical. And the pandemic obviously has been a massive change in the way that many teams work. How did it impact your team? So, yes, in many ways, at least in Atlanta, we were a very in-office culture. I look back and kind of laugh because actually the week that we went home and then, you know, the rest is history. I think I had just rolled out that we could work from home one day a week. (laughs) So I rolled it out like on a Monday and then we weren't in, right? The rest was history. So I had to quickly pivot and get my team running in a totally new dynamic remotely. You know, in addition to learning the new remote meeting technologies, there were bigger aspects to consider supporting the team in this new remote environment, helping avoid burnout. Because, you know, you're coming from a, an in-office kind of structure, you go home, they're with their computers all the time. So it was really having those conversations and building some strategy around avoiding meeting fatigue helping set new boundaries for what remote work looks like, helping be remote managers. You know, you're used to being in person, that's different. And luckily I knew my team and when this happened, we could all support each other during that change. We have a really great team like that at Ream and Legal. The thing that I have loved the most is we benefit from seeing more of the faces of our entire global team regularly on video, which is, that's just, been my favorite new normal change because it's so much better than dial-in and there's so much more connection there. And that wasn't something we had before the pandemic. It was always just a dial-in really. So we get to see our whole team regularly. I think that's so true. It was such a step change in, in how everybody had to learn how to work and adjust. And burnout is a real risk because you can sit at your desk at home and jump from one Zoom meeting to the next and it is much harder to escape work and switch off in the evenings or be inaccessible or unavailable and something we spend a lot of time thinking about and focusing on mental health and well-being here at Bright Flag and empathy for the team and reset days where everybody has a break once a quarter because I do think it has increased the potential productivity in so many ways. There's so many other benefits in terms of people obviously having the flexibility to structure the day the way they want to and maybe spend more time with family or friends or exercising or doing other things, not spending time on long commutes. But I think a lot of people are still finding their feet about how does this work best? And there's still a place for in-person connection in my view as well, where 
there's there's kind of building trust building those relationships it doesn't need to be every day but i do think it's great to get teams together as well oh totally and we've been working towards that too like as we've evolved because you need that in-person collaboration you need you also need the in-person training when you're bringing on new people right so that's really important and uh, I, i totally agree with you and Alison, you've obviously achieved a huge amount over the last seven years. What's next for your legal team? Uh, well, at Ream, our department is always striving to be prepared and strategic to support our business. We've had tremendous growth on a global scale and anticipate still growing. So that provides both opportunities and challenges that the legal team's preparing for through looking at internal and external resources. And my operations team has grown by two in the last year, which is great. And we're ready for those new opportunities and challenges to support the team and business as a whole as it comes along. So that's what we're getting prepared for. That's fantastic that you've been growing your legal ops team. And I'm interested to understand, how are you thinking about kind of the structure of those roles and what responsibilities those individuals will have? Right. Well, for me, I'm split into sort of a lot of staffing and also kind of overall legal ops. So I've got the financial component of it. So we have a legal ops administrator who's going to help hone in on some of the the financial aspects of the day-to-day through bright flag, through invoice processing, and helping the leadership team with more administrative tasks as a whole to help productivity. And then a key role was my legal technology specialist. So by training as an engineer and can come in and really take a look at our systems and help support any changes or updates and help with that technology roadmap that that we're looking to build and and know what we're doing next. And so those are the two right now, the two pivotal roles that I've added that definitely are adding bench strength for our ops team. They sound like fantastic additions to the team, and I'm sure giving you much more leverage to think about what's next and helping to continue scale the business and support the business, the growth of the business. One thing, Alison, that that comes up a lot on the podcast, and in fact, the last time you and me met in person was at the Clock Institute in Las Vegas. It was so great to catch up after so long in person. I'd be interested to understand what role the legal operations community has played for you in your career. So... It's, it's played a big role. I mean, I've always enjoyed networking and staying up to date with my peers and engaging on best practices. I think that's really where you learn the most, right? And uh, we're only really at our best when we can learn from each other. So I've always been the person to reach out and say, you know, have you done this before? What do you think? I've done that. I've gotten great feedback from people in the legal ops community as I've been doing projects. And and so I've really leaned on it and, and I love returning that favor. So I have a pretty good network that I've built along the way. It plays such an important role, obviously, and it's a great sounding board to be able to bounce ideas off each other, get perspectives on what's worked and equally what has not worked. And I, right. I love how, how open everybody is in sharing lessons learned along the way as well. Uh, and what prompted you to become the Clock Atlanta Regional Group Leader? Well, Clock's a great organization, and it was really the first legal operations organization that I joined, you know, from the beginning. And when the opportunity knocked, I jumped because it's it's the legal ops community has always been a passion of mine and connecting with my peers and networking. So this role really allows me to directly engage and collaborate and build up this growing and really enthusiastic group of professionals. So I was very excited to take it on and go from there. So great opportunity. That's fantastic. It's so impactful that more experienced leaders like yourselves giving back to the community and sharing their knowledge 
I'd be interested to understand what sort of differences are there in the kind of types of conversations that maybe happen within a regional group like your group in Atlanta when compared to at larger events like the Clock Institute in Las Vegas? Well, I think it's more directed, right? So as a regional group, we're getting together more often. So we have sort of a tighter connection because we're seeing each other and talking to each other and we can remember what we've talked about at our most recent meeting. So we have the opportunity to really drill down together and collaborate on topics in our area with individuals that we're talking to on a regular basis. When you're at CLOCK, it's great. You're meeting folks from all over in different regions. You can get different perspective, but it's definitely a different a tone to the conversation and you're meeting new people and, and sometimes connecting with someone you haven't talked to in, in a year or so, you know, so it's, it's definitely different. I would say the regional group is more directed and there's a relationship with that group, right? Yeah, it's a, a closer connection. I'm sure that's incredibly useful. One of the most common career paths, as we've discussed in the podcast many times before, there is no predefined route into legal operations, but uh, you were obviously one of the trailblazers in moving from a paralegal background into legal operations. Would you have any advice for somebody who's maybe working as a paralegal today who's considering a career in legal operations? Yeah, that's a great question. It's you know, yes, as, as a paralegal, you're already kind of building those great skills, soft skills for understanding what it takes to get the job done, right? So that's, that's where you start. You're in the technologies. My advice would be to seek out opportunities where you can expand that skill set. So much of your success is based on your experiences. So network with others, take advantage of all opportunities around you to grow. Those networking relationships and mentors, finding a champion, that can really help support your growth, those are important steps. And that would be my best advice. And it's sort of take advantage of the opportunities, talk to people, put yourself into projects as much as you can. That's great advice. And maybe shifting gears a little bit, moving away from the world of legal operations, can you tell us a little bit about your work with the MANA Fund? Yeah, absolutely. So a general passion of mine is eating disorder awareness and my work with the MANA Fund was supporting their mission to provide financial access to treatment for those who could not afford it with eating disorders. And it was a great experience to serve as the president of that board. I had recovered from an eating disorder myself and so firsthand seen its effects on loved ones and myself obviously. Huge passion of mine. So while I don't serve on the MANA Fund board anymore, I consistently hold myself out as a resource to promote more awareness for our community on it and supporting an anti-diet culture with our youth and have a real passion for providing education around that and the concept, as well as being a resource just in general for families and individuals who need support. It's incredible that you gave back, Alison, in such a meaningful way. And a final question from me really enjoyed as ever catching up and having to have a, a deeper conversation about your fascinating journey and the incredible success that you've had. But final question for me, when you're not building legal operations programs or giving your time to volunteering, what do you enjoy doing in your spare time? So, you know, obviously spending time with my husband and children, I have an enthusiastic artistic side. So I like to refinish furniture and paint. I think my husband feels like I might paint anything that was standing still if I was bored. So I try to nurture that as much as possible. It's an outlet in addition to a hobby and obviously kind of travel. I love to travel and I have four dogs. They definitely take up a lot of my time and 
three of them are fairly young golden retrievers. I'm definitely a dog person. I can't deny it, but they provide me with entertainment in my downtime constantly. And sometimes at work, which is nice too. Four dogs. Uh, that is that you have a lot on your plate and three golden retrievers. They've got a lot yes. of energy. Yeah. A lot. There's a lot of ball, ball games in my yard. So. Yeah, my three-year-old and two-year-old daughters would lose their mind. They are massive dog fans. We're already <laughs> starting to get uh, canvassed for a dog to be added to the family. I think I'm going to give it another few years. I don't think I could manage four, though, off the bat. <laughs> yeah, it just happens. It's almost like an addiction, right? So you get one, you get another, you get another. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Alison, thank you so much for being so generous with your time as ever. Really enjoyed the conversation and uh, great to speak with you. For sure. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me. I'm Alex Kelly, host of the In-House Outliers podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Brightflag, an AI-powered legal operations platform where corporate legal departments gain visibility into operations, maximize productivity, and engage with outside counsel strategically. If you like this episode, then you can find more information in our show notes. If you want to hear more, then you can also find more episodes at brightflag.com forward slash legal hyphen operations hyphen podcast. Thanks again for listening to the In-House Outliers podcast. We'll see you again next time.